Thank you. Evidence of God's love. Music, for sure. Does it not open our hearts? And the talents of the vocals, the melodies. Thank goodness we're not limited by the talents of only one of us. But that we all contribute to the tapestry of creation and expression and ultimately joy if we see it that way. It's good to be here this morning to talk about embracing forgiveness. And uh, there's three things that sometimes I wander. I like to say these are the three things I want to get across just in case I forget. So I want to talk about the nature of God, our relationship with that God, and ultimately how that uh, relates to the process of forgiveness. And I'll remind everyone that gold is the color of the power of understanding, which is represented by the Apostle Thomas, the doubting Thomas. You know, a little skepticism is the humble path to gaining understanding. So Thomas is the perfect representative of that path of seeking understanding. And of course, the body area is right here. So, I was on vacation recently in Virginia Beach, and one of the things I like to do on vacation is play golf. I'm starting to think there's a relationship between God and golf with me. You know, some of the letters are the same. Uh, so, on the last full day of the vacation, I'm, 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 I wanted to be with Nikki most of the time. So, I let her sleep in. I play golf at like 6.30 in the morning. So I get there for my 6.30 time. It's my second time at this course. I figure I'm going to play alone like I did the first time. It takes me about two hours to play 18 holes. But just as I'm getting ready to tee off, the starter says, oh, this guy's coming with you. He's a member. Okay. So I'm playing with this guy. Turns out his name, Mr. Chapel. Yep. Now, this is like, uh, anybody see uh, Bagger Vance, The Legend of Bagger Vance? Now, that whole movie is an allegory for the Bhagavad Gita, if you didn't know. So, the names all matter, you know. Bagger, Vance, Bhagavad, Gita. Of course, Will Smith is. Anyway, we'll talk about that another day. See how I get sidetracked. So, I'm playing golf with Mr. Chapel. Guess what the name of the golf course was? Hell's Point. <laughs> right? And believe me, it's there. Look at the map. It's right there. And there's a reason they call it that. So I'm, I'm playing with him, and at first everybody's quiet, and me and this guy, but pretty soon he's asking me what I think about Jesus. <laughs> and um, I bring this story up because it, it, ta- it talks to me about the nature of God, or at least how people interpret or understand, even if we're understanding the nature of God. So I mean, pretty soon he's got me convinced that he understands heaven, and he's going there, and I'm not going to be there with him. <laughs> But he's got 16 more holes to try to get me on the train. And and so it was interesting because I I said to him right off, I said, don't worry, I don't believe in hell. He says, well, you will when you get there. (laughs) And I said, actually, Mr. Chapel, we're already there, you know. I did get him to laugh a little bit, but he had an an idea about the nature of God that's a little different from mine. And he was, I tell you one thing, he was well-rooted in his Bible. 
he was giving me verse after verse after verse. And the one verse that came up right away, we all know it. That's the talk title for today. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. So human is finite. Christ is infinite or infinite. So anyway, it was great. We, we, we talked. It did distract me a bit from my golf game. But being what I'm kind of like at this side hustle here as a, a, a pretend minister or whatever you call me, um, I was kind of interested in what I might learn. Maybe I'll see things a little differently. And um, I do. So in addition to Mr. Chapel, I had another data point. This is where it brings me to the golf connection. So yesterday I'm visiting my mother-in-law with Nikki. And uh, I'm watching the, the end of the British Open on TV, on D-Stream or something, her channel. So anyway, golf ends and we're doing whatever. And next thing I know, there's this man talking about Jesus <laughs> on the TV. Like in progress, in touch ministries or something. I don't know. And I'm listening to him. And I, at first I was almost like, I wasn't feeling encouraged listening to him. Because he was telling me about how blind I was. And it, and it was interesting. It's like, you know, I, he says God's totally powerful and totally in control. And everything is absolutely in God's uh, plan. And nothing deviates from that plan. So I must submit to God that he's got the path for me and I'm following it whether I want to or not. And then over here he says, but then you're doing these things that are not in alignment with God's commandments and those are not in God's plan. And I'm like, well, how are they happening if they're part of God's plan? <laughs> I, you can't have it both ways. Either everything I do is because God's making me do it or I have free will and I can actually either choose to be in the light or turn toward the darkness. So that's one thing about that whole nature of God's thing. And I'm bringing this up. I don't want to go too deep on it, but the nature of God is so important to how we feel about forgiveness and how we see God. Because as I was listening to this guy, and I, I thought, i got to stick with this because I'm not liking it yet. And, and Abe Lincoln said, if I, I don't like that man, I need to spend more time with him. Right? So I'm listening because I'm thinking, I know fundamentally we believe the same thing. But it's really how we understand it and then how we talk about it, how we express it, and then how we apply our faith and practice our faith to it. So I'm like, I, I, I'm listening. And he eventually gets to the lighted path, you know, the loving path and the forgiveness path. And I'm like, and as I looked at the messaging, I said, man, it's so many of those things align with the message I hear in you the metaphysical message and, and the positive message. And it's like, why in the world is this, there this, it feels like this importance to it sort of like break you all the way down and then promise to build you up. But in order to get built up, you've got to walk a very precarious and narrow path. Because, whoa, whoa, there's hell. <laughs> down, down as hell. And this way, whoa, you're not pleasing God. I mean, it's a very narrow path. And I'm like, you know what? I don't buy into that. But if you get past that and listen, they're really saying the same types of things we are. So it's not like it's a, we're all on the same team. But um, the nature of God. 
So there's one nature of God is this big authority, in control, ultimate power, except for when we somehow deviate the power through some magic. And we need to be obedient. By the way, I asked Mr. Chapel, I said, I'm curious. When you die, you're going to heaven. I will. I'm going to see all my friends there. I said, yeah, that's fine. I, I don't know about that part. I'm not quite sure ego transcends into the spiritual consciousness of the afterlife, but that's a different topic. I'm just curious, where do you think heaven is? And he said, oh, it's in outer space. Because I'm really curious about that, because that's a question that I can't answer for myself. Because Well, I do have an answer, by the way. Because I'm on my own path of seeking understanding. But it's always in heaven. So I said, well, that's cool. So you you die, and your body stays here. You're pretty sure of that. Well, I'll be recreated in heaven. Okay, okay. So how do you get there? Well, he never had a good answer for that. But then I thought of the movie Cocoon. Has anybody seen that movie? Are you in my generation? I mean, it's a really, I think it was 1992 or something. It's a very cute movie. Um, and some people kind of subscribe to this idea of the nature of God, that he's like a benevolent God. I'll say God, not he. God. God is a benevolent, benevolent alien. Because when I talk to a lot of people about creation and evolution, they're like, well, we didn't evolve from apes. That didn't happen. Aliens planted us here as seeds and grew us, apparently. That's more palatable to some people than the idea of evolution from single cell or whatnot. And, but in Cocoon, these aliens, these light beings, and if you take off their false skins, they are all light, right? Um, but it, there's this healing power, this, this forgiveness, you know. And I remember Wilfred Brimley is trying to explain this kind of a sad and happy moment. He's trying to explain to his grandson why he's leaving. And all our grandparents believe us. But in this case, he's choosing to leave. Like the grandson's struggling with it. But you know this line. It's so cute and it's so perfect. It goes, we won't get sick. We won't get old. And we won't ever die. So that's the cocoon version of heaven. And I like the benevolent alien nature of God better than the authoritarian, displeased God. But it doesn't matter, because at the bottom of it all, God is love. That's, that's the nature of God that I see. And the second verse that Mr. Chapel gave me, because one of the things he gave me when I was leaving the park, I was are you going to be here Sunday? I'm like, no, I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> he gave me a little piece of paper. And this is what I talk about, where they have to make you wrong before they can show you the path of the righteous light and love. All these things I could do, you know, feed the poor, go to church, give money to church, uh, good works, good thoughts. Seventeen things. You think they're going to get you to... I should have brought the list to read you, but... Seventeen things that are all very wonderful, benevolent, and, and kind things to do and... and, and giving things, none of those will get you to heaven. 
So the whole pamphlet tells me all the ways I can't get to heaven by giving money to the church. So stop that. <laughs> What's your point? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I can't resist some of this stuff. So, uh, I love this. I love it. So, and that is, it tells you how you can get to heaven, which is Ephesians 2.8. Maybe you know it. I got it written down just in case I forgot it. I don't know where I put it, though, but anyway, it's here. But what it basically says is, oh, here it is, right in front of me. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Okay. You know, it seems like no matter what I do, God loves me. So I hear the unlimited and unconditional love in that scripture. God's grace is what what saves me. Now, the God nature of the God that I believe in, I don't really need to be saved because there's nothing to be saved from, at least in a spiritual aspect. Now, in a physical aspect, we do make messes. But guess what? We're human. Humans are not perfect. So it's all about that relationship to nature, guys. So I just want to close up. There's, there's room in the understanding of humanity for many multiple ideas of the nature of God. The one that I choose to support is that God is love. So I can just read the first part of John 3.16 and I'm good. For God so loved the world. I'm good. <laughs> all right, but, but of course... There's a reason we give money to the church. There's a reason we're nice to people. There's a reason we do good work. And the reason is, is because it makes life better for me. And sometimes when I make life better for you, it makes life better for me. And that's part of it. And I just think that's, that's just this. Stephen Hawking. Hawking? explained to me in one of his books that basically an expanding universe is absolutely essential for the creation of life. So it's that expansion, that openness, that sharing, that, that, that benevolence that, that is the, the nature of God. And that's what I buy into. But what about our relationship with that God? So traditionally we have what we call the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In metaphysics, we look at that slightly differently. We look at mind, the divine mind, which is the absolute source of all. Idea, which is that mind forming into expression, which is the spirit. So, mind, idea, expression. And Christ, is the, from the divine mind, is the perfect idea of man. The divine, I'll say the divine. That word perfectly dangerous. <coughs> Hell. I don't believe in hell, but perfect could take you close. Trying to be perfect. You know, it's not money, right? It's the love of money. It's not perfection. It's the striving to be perfect. Or the pretending that you might be. <laughs> Again, there's a whole talk in that. But divine, So this, this idea from divine mind is the sun. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that 
I've, I've heard, read so many different interpretations. Talk about understanding. When I, I sometimes I go get the quotes, I'm like, well, which Bible would I get the quote from today? You know, and I usually I think from Unity they like the newly revised standard version or something. I'm not even sure if I remember correctly, but so I generally go there. But I look at some of the others, and you can shop the Bible to find the way they say it. You look long enough, sometimes, you know, as somebody said, I think it was Daniel Webster, that the, the devil can quote scripture to make a point. Don't believe in the devil. But, uh, <laughs> but I believe in that point that, you know, you, scripture, even though Mr. Chapel thinks it's the absolute law, it's very interpretive. There's so much room for understanding. It is a beautiful, sacred text and, and an incredible tool to guide us, but it is not the end all of understanding. Ultimately, that is between divine mind, God, and Christ consciousness in me expressing as I start to have a relationship with God through that Christ energy. So this is the relationship with God, the only begotten Son. But again, Christ, in my opinion, my belief, I'll say my belief, is the only begotten Son, not Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is just like Greg, okay? <laughs> or John, or Shirley, or Nikki, um, Roberta. You know, Jesus is a, a human being, but what a magnificent human being. What, what a great expression, like a, a way shower. Like, this is what Christ consciousness can look like in practice. And you know when we read stories about Jesus, they've been adjusted to lionize him in some ways. To, you know, because that, you know, it's based on a true story. We've heard that before. <laughs> so, you know, we don't really know, but the thing is we don't need to have the literal stuff figured out. We know the essence of the spiritual energy and the consciousness, and that's what we're focusing on. So the relationship with God comes through that consciousness. And Mr. Chapel's consciousness is one of obedience and submission. I find that discouraging and limiting for the idea of God that I have. Because a God that's so powerful and so loving and so wise, why would he need such petty things from an imperfect being like me? So, but I do believe that humility is an essential attitude to take towards God. And this is what gets me into forgiveness. You see, forgiveness to me is a human construct. It's not necessary at all in a spiritual level, in my opinion. Because as a spiritual being, you are already the image of God. But we are trying to have that spiritual being expressed through us in a mortal state, human, we call it. And in that way, it's a stumbling, clumsy journey, being human. But we are inspired and driven by the hope of our spiritual core. And that must be fun. And, and you see the evidence of love. That's that spirit glowing. And you get discouraged, you get turned away, you start to think every, nobody's giving money to the church. Nobody's helping anybody, you know. Everybody's just out for themselves. There's definitely those things are true. People get distracted by fear 
and, and scarcity and, and um, the seductions of power. I don't know what happens. I mean, like, what happens when we die? Where does Putin go? Like, I wonder about these things. I don't, I don't have the answers, but I just wonder, like, why shouldn't we all just be like that? I'm like, I just can't imagine myself that way. So I think that's the spirit working in me, on me, through me. That's that relationship. But back to the, the idea of humility and forgiveness. There's one word that resonates as I contemplated this, and it's the word worthy. Do you actually believe you are worthy of God's love? Of the grace that saves you? Are you worthy of the forgiveness? Because a lot of the whole need for forgiveness is this idea, this gap between what we think we ought to be and what we show up like. And we're always, I think, well, words like always are challenging, you know, not quite as dangerous as perfect. But often, we'll have a good day. Like, for example, I can bring it back to golf. You know, everything seems to be God in golf with me. I got a birdie on a hole the other day. And then the next hole, I didn't get a birdie. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? I mean, Kim Il John or whatever his name is, he gets a hole-in-one on every single hole. I guess it pays to have power. I wonder how Putin's golf game is. But, but I'm like, we tend to have our, like, peak moments, and then we call that our average and extrapolate and says, that's the standard I should be living up to. Does anybody do that? Or is it just Nikki? <laughs> That's what your mom told me. I don't know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> now the bus just ran over her. Yeah. So that, yeah, we create this, this judging tension against our own selves. And, and then we feel, because we're being so hard on ourselves, we feel more than justified in being hard on other people, too. I mean, I used to say this, and, 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 and I grew up with people saying it. I wouldn't ask my employees to do anything I wouldn't do myself. That's kind of twisted. Because one is, again, back to that birdie analogy, I did it once. I worked a 60-hour week once. <laughs> my employees can do it every single week. We tend to um, distort things when we look at what we expect others to do and what we expect of ourselves in the same situation. Like, some of the things that are going on in society right now with law make me think that. Like, people are imposing laws on how other people should live their lives, but often when, the, when you have more power, it seems like the laws don't apply to you the same way. Kind of messed up. But we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. But back to humility. And forgiveness. So, do you think you know better than God? Now, I know that I say these things, but depending on the nature of God, these can be very long conversations. But it's like the FedEx guy's coming to your house with grace in a nice little thing. He knocks on the door, delivers it, and you say, I don't accept the package. But it's free. It's a gift. I don't accept it. I'm not worthy of it. 
You are worthy of it. You were born worthy. You were intentionalized even before you were born worthy. I think this is the big part of forgiveness is feeling that judgment of ourselves that we're not enough. Now, at the same time, I have a process of forgiveness, and I'll go through it relatively quickly because even though spiritually we're handled, we still... Does anybody ever create a mess? I mean, so far today, I'm not sure if I've done a good one yet, but it's coming. So, that is going to happen. And we do need forgiveness in that realm because, again, we need it for ourselves, not for the other person. Really, when you forgive someone, it's a gift to yourself. If that doesn't make sense, then I have to have a whole talk on it. And, and, but let's just talk about the steps of forgiveness. So first of all, there's awareness. I made a mess. Then there's consideration. Well, was it really my fault? <laughs> was it really a mess? But anyway, you, you become aware of something, you, you consider it. And then you come to a conclusion, which is, Let's assume we're on the path of forgiveness. It's an acceptance of responsibility. I wasn't trying to make a mess. Just being me, but I got a little clumsy. I made a mess because I'm human. And I, I, I got to accept responsibility. By the way, and, and usually you don't say, well, who cares if I made a mess? Because I'm okay and you're not. But most of us don't live in that attitude. We're, we're more humble than that. So, wow, I'm just trying to figure out where the work is going to live with everybody. So I see that I made the mess. I regret it. You know, or sometimes I take the wrong club and I'm like, oh man, that went in the water. I regret that. <laughs> regret is really just that combination of awareness and responsibility. But what do we do next? By the way, as soon as you get to regret, that's the same as repentance. Or actually, it's, it's the brink of repentance. Because what does repentance mean? New way of thinking, right? To change your thinking, right? To repent. I guess repent means think. I don't know. But somebody told me that's what it means. So, so if I had the mistake and I'm aware of it, I take responsibility for it, and I say, well, what will I do to not do that again? Because that didn't work out too well. So there's the, the, the understanding and then the, ultimately the wisdom that I can gain. But sometimes the mess isn't just about me, it's about somebody else. So I'm like, what am I going to do to clean up the mess? Well, sometimes you do what you can to clean up the mess. Like if I run into somebody's car, I pay to have it fixed. The car may not ever be quite perfect again, but I do my best to clean up the mess. And a lot of times you can do that. And when you do that, you know what you do? You feel worthy. Excuse me. You feel worthy of forgiveness because you took responsibility and you created. You put your energy into creation and made something new and better from the mess. Sometimes you can't clean up the mess. You know, I, if I did something to somebody on a New York subway and, and I, I caused some harm to them, some either inconvenience, harm, or hurt, these are the things that I think we're looking for forgiveness for, when we cause harm, hurt, or inconvenience to ourselves or anybody else. So we want to fix that. We want to heal that. But I can't do it for the person I'm never going to see again. And then that really leaves a worthiness gap. What are you going to do? This is where you're going to use the spiritual practice for this week. Spiritual practice basically says, do a makeup. 
well, I can't make it up to him. But you know what I can do is I can put a positive step forward. I can do something for someone. It doesn't even have to be related to what happened in that interaction. But I'm going to put my love and my creative energy and my spiritual effort into creating good in the world. Shining light somewhere in honor of that mistake that I made. There's a story I heard in a nutshell. There's a whole string of addiction treatment centers. And they exist because a man murdered a man. I know this is kind of dramatic. I get a little dramatic thinking about it. I don't want to think every makeup has got to be like this. It could be as simple as sending someone a card. But this guy, he was an addict. And he was on whatever. And he murdered someone. And he doesn't even know who it was. Because he got away with it. And he couldn't live with the unworthiness that he felt. And he went through, he got healthy, he healed. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start an addiction place to help people like me so they don't do what I do. And um, even if he knew the guy's name, he couldn't implicate him. There's just a sign when you walk in the door. It says, all the good that happens here is in honor of John Doe. But you feel the worthiness that he created. And, and so much good out of something horrible. That's how you do it. <laughs> you don't have to do it that big. I, you know, I, I, I said to Nikki, I'm, I shouldn't tell that story too epic. I don't want to put the pressure of epic because I already talked about the problem of perfection, right? Oh, i got to be so big. No, you just got to be you. It's the thought that matters most and your willingness to accept it. Okay, so in conclusion, for God so loved the world. So I'm going to read you a little affirmation here. Embrace forgiveness. Live with humility. Accept your humanity while aspiring to your divinity. Risk being you as you stumble along the mortal path. Knowing you are blessed by a love beyond our ability to understand. God's love. Your being, your creation is evidence of the power of God's love. You are here for purpose. You are worthy. Your existence is evidence of your worthiness of God's love. Allow God's grace to fill your heart with joy and your soul with light. In this moment, I invite you to choose to affirm the presence of God's love in your life. To understand the presence of God's love is evidence of your worthiness. And to allow this love to heal the wounds inflicted by your judgment. Allow God's love to encourage your heart and fortify your soul to move you increasingly into the brighter light of your highest good. Until then.